Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and uh, I'm going to keep it really quick up the top. Only one show to plug, newcastlecomedy.com.au. I'm doing my Will Eagle show. Thanks very much to everyone who came out for the Melbourne Comedy Festival. I really enjoyed uh, doing the show in the end. Uh, as people who regularly listen to this podcast know, it's been a, a bit of a rough time for me offline and... Uh, I was a little bit worried about getting everything together for the comedy festival, but um, I was really, really pleased with how the show turned out in the end and uh, really excited that so many people came out and supported it. So thank you if you were one of those people. Uh, All right. So uh, yes, Will Eagle, Newcastle, that's it at the moment. Oh, this Sunday, if you're in Melbourne, I'm doing a fundraiser for Father Bob. Father Bob has been a regular well, sorry, not a regular, a previous guest on this podcast. Uh, we're doing a big comedy benefit for him at the Comics Lounge to raise some money for his foundation to continue his work that he does for the less fortunate in society. So Sunday night at the Comics Lounge if you're in Melbourne. Otherwise, uh, we're legal in Newcastle. And uh, thanks very much for listening to the podcast. Please, if you like it, share it around, that sort of thing. Um, check out some of the great uh, previous episodes that have been on the podcast. But today, Carly Finlay. Really enjoyed this chat. It was uh, absolutely brilliant to catch up with Carly. I loved her book. Um, I've been a big admirer of hers, uh, her writing online. Uh, She uh, is often very challenging, um, you know, and uh, I've learned a lot about uh, language and um, different perspectives from from listening to Carly and uh, admiring and consuming her work. And so I think you're going to enjoy this chat with her today. So um, please uh, enjoy this. This is Carly Finlay. Check out her book. Uh, check out her writing online. Um, and uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. Very excited to have uh, today's guest on. We've actually been talking about doing this podcast for a little while and uh, we decided we would wait until there was uh, like, you know, something to celebrate, something to plug as well. Let's <laughs> let's be completely honest about it. Um, and that time has come. So I'm glad that we're getting to finally do this, but I won't give too much away because uh, we know how the podcast starts. I ask my guests who they are. So hello, guests. Who are you? Hi, I'm Carly Finlay. Hello, Carly hello. Finlay. Uh, so uh, the, th- the plug first, let's talk about that because I mm-hmm. read the book uh, last night. It's fantastic. Uh, it's called Say Hello. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, can I ask, uh, it, you, it, it's explained in the book, but I think it's a nice way to start this. Uh, why Say Hello is the name of the book. So I have a facial difference, a skin condition, and um, I invite people to say hello instead of blurting out what they are thinking about my appearance. Well, hello to you. Thank hello. you very much for doing the podcast. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, now, you're just at the end of a book tour, yes? No, mid, about midway. Oh, okay. Probably is that right? end of the media, but midway. I've got four more events, I think. Okay. Yeah. So how long has that been going on for now? Uh, since January and I've got till May. <sighs> I mean, it's a lot, isn't it? And, yes. it's a, and I imagine it's a lot of interviews. Are you yeah. sick of answering questions? <laughs> because you've come to the wrong place, yeah. unfortunately. I went to the hospital one day after I had two, uh, two ABC interviews back to back and then I had work and then I had the hospital and I hadn't seen this doctor before and she said, tell me about your pain. And I said, it's literally just in my book here. Like, you should buy it. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't want to talk about it anymore. And then I felt really bad because, you know, she's there to help me, but I was so sick of talking about myself that I just didn't want to talk to the doctor. Well, I can imagine that though, because the book itself is mm-hmm. absolutely fantastic, Thank but it's, you. It, but you pour a lot of yourself mm. into this book mm-hmm. and then, uh, you know, then you have to go around and then repeat re- sort of repeat it <laughs> yeah. and go over it again. Yeah. So can you talk me through the process of, actually writing a book like this because I imagine yeah. it uh, – well, I just w- I want to hear from you what the process was like. Yes, I've been writing for years. Um, it's funny because a few people have said, how much of the book have you written? Have you had a ghostwriter? I am a writer, yeah. um, which is weird because they must think I'm more famous than I am to have a ghostwriter. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've, I've been writing for years and I just thought it's time to write a book. In about 2016, I would say, I started um, after reading a lot of books um, similar to the one I wrote. So, um, Clem Ford's Fight Like a Girl, Lindy West Shrill, Roxanne Gay's Hunger. So, they were the books that I thought I would like to write something similar to. Um, and then I thought that it would be just writing a bunch of things like blog posts and then putting them together. I thought if, I can, if I've written a blog, if I've written news articles many times, I can write a book, but it's not like that. Um, so tell me the difference because this is one yeah. of the things that if people don't, aren't familiar with mm-hmm. your work, mm-hmm. like they might not know that you've come from this background of you know, starting blogging yourself, mm-hmm. you know, writing really for your own uh, you know, life and your own self, yeah. you know, and then developing through to become quite a prominent social commentator. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. what is the difference between writing an article or a blog post versus sitting down to write a project like this? Well, it's really big. First, um, yeah. I <laughs> I write a lot in bed and I write a lot on my iPad. And uh-huh. uh, this is a really, I, I have talked about this before, but there was a lot of scrolling. Like I think I shouldn't have written the whole book on my iPad because, you know, you're literally <laughs> scrolling and um, – I I think you have to get a narrative across. So I was writing um, discrete chapters and they didn't really um, link together, I guess. So after I did my first draft, I had to write kind of linking bits and move things around to make it more um, chronological or even um, more topical in another area or add things, take things away. I'm always yeah. interested in uh, how a theme develops in mm-hmm. a book like yours and there's certainly mm-hmm. a theme that goes throughout it. So mm-hmm. when I'm writing a stand-up show um, – Often I'll think that I'm writing about one thing, mm-hmm. but then I'll write the show and the show will reveal itself to be, mm-hmm. yes, about the thing that I thought it was about, but it actually turns out it's about something else as well that I yeah. wasn't really aware of when I was writing. Yeah. Was there that moment when you were writing as well where mm. it revealed to you what it was about? Yes, absolutely. So I guess where I, sometimes a publisher asks who your ideal reader is and I was thinking about all the people that have given me feedback on my writing prior to writing the book and I sort of had someone in mind where they were a, a person to be older than me who has lived with ichthyosis, the skin condition I have, for many years and they um, – didn't realize there was someone else out there. And also they felt really alone and it was because of my writing that they felt more confident to do, um, to be more free and more open and more confident in their life. So that was my reader. But then the other, the other side of it was that it's, it's aimed at people without ichthyosis who aren't disabled as well. So that, 
those two things came out as I wrote the book that I realized that I'm writing for two audiences. But the thing that didn't, um, that, that I didn't think of before I wrote the book was I was actually writing it for me as well. You know, it's the book that I needed. And at the start it said it's for little Carly. And when my dad found all the photos, cause I don't live with my parents anymore. Uh, they live in Aubrey. Um, I said, can you sort out the photos? I don't have time to come up. And he sent me about 500 photos. I didn't know that he even took 500 photos of me throughout my life. But, um, I realized that my childhood with my parents was really lovely. Um, but outside of that, it was, you know, it wasn't great with children bullying, but I realized that I needed to be that person that little Carly needed, um, in seeing those photos, realizing the potential little Carly could have. Well, that, that's actually one of the, the most moving parts of the book is mm-hmm. when you reflect upon, you know, perhaps how you were feeling then versus mm-hmm. how you feel looking back at those photos. And Mm. it did feel like there was a genuine moment there of, so how did you put yourself in those two mindsets? Because I imagine even revisiting Mm. like anyone who's writing about their youth, Mm -hmm. you know, you are to revisit it properly. You have to put yourself back there and you tell a few Mm. stories of things, you know, that are pretty, you know, hard stories to read. They must've been even harder stories to live through. Mm. Mm. So I'm interested in the process of, did you, feel like you were going back to those moments when you were writing about them? Yes, I did. I I definitely did. But I think the hard thing is um, I wrote so much of not being believed about being bullied. Mm. And um, when my mum tells me about, you know, she still lives where I grew up, her her and dad still live there. And they, she's like my best PR person ever. You know, she's giving out my my card everywhere. (laughs) She rang the bookseller to say, well, haven't you got enough books, you know? Um, and then, but she's telling me of these people that are from our town that I moved because it was small mine, small town, you know? And, um, she said, these people are asking, is it gossip in the book? How much of it is true? And she said, oh, look, you know, they're just saying it. They don't mean it. I said, but mum, this is the thing. I, I spent all my life trying to prove that I was being bullied, trying to, um, you know, say that I was upset, that I couldn't change. It was up to those people to change their behaviour. And they're still going on, not necessarily these same people, but they're still, they've still got that mindset that what I'm saying mustn't be true. So I found that a little bit hard to have written all of it and then still be doubted. It's interesting, yeah. isn't it, that um, I, you know, you, you look back at, you know, there's a lot of stuff about that idea of like, are they just kids being kids mm. or, you know, is there something more to this that we should be addressing as a society, which is, mm. you know, that we shouldn't just be, you know, chalking this stuff up to, it's just kids being kids, mm. that, that, mm. that kids being kids in these situations have real life consequences yeah. for the people who are the subject of their bullying. And, you know, certainly when I was reading that, you know, it made me think about, you know, I don't have specific examples, mm. of, but I imagine that over the journey, mm. you know, when you've been, you know, like particularly someone like me who was raised, but was a bit of a smart ass, you know, Mm. who used my words as weapons, Mm. the way that you often gained social inclusion was at the expense of other people. Right. Exactly. So even though I don't have a specific example that comes to mind, Mm. I imagine that over the journey, the person who was the butt of the joke probably remembers the specific example much more than, than I would. And it makes you think about that. Mm. And you have two choices in that moment, I think, or this is what I was thinking when I was reading it at the very least was, to either deny that you were ever that person or that you would have ever done anything mean mm. or to acknowledge probably that at some stage you did do something, mm. you know, to hurt somebody and how do you live your life from then on in a mm. way that, you know, isn't that person anymore. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I imagine that you you come into contact with both of those things. Mm. 
Yes. And also, I think it's very hard to write about discrimination without being seeming like a victim as well. So I feel like I had a bit of pressure to think about the times that I haven't been so great and to balance that out as well. You know, I'm not perfect. I've probably said stuff that is awful too to people. So so I think that's really important in not coming across as, as, as a victim or, or as pious or, you know, absolutely perfect. What, yeah. uh, what yeah. I, I, when you've been on a press tour, mm-hmm. um, and look, you know, I have done plenty of them myself and mm-hmm. often you have something that, you know, someone is fascinated with. Mm-hmm. Like last year I did a show about being arrested. So, mm-hmm. you know, there was a lot of questions. It was specifically <laughs> about being arrested mm-hmm. and, uh, I'm interested in what the, I guess, what's the question that you wish people stopped asking you mm. <laughs> and I'll avoid that one. Uh, <laughs> and then. What is the question that, you know, even despite all these interviews you've done, is there a question yeah. that you think, why don't they ask me mm. that? What- I think, yeah. I mean, I, it hasn't come from the media necessarily, but the, the question about um, how much of the book did you write, that kind of thing, you know. I, do you ask a painter, an artist, how much of that painting is their own? There's that idea that, you know, you, if, if you're not well known, you couldn't have possibly written a book. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, so there's that. Shane Warne wrote a book. So actually he probably um, had a ghostwriter. <laughs> I think he did. I, you know, that there's a bit in my book about Shane Warne and I, <laughs> I, I was at a thing the other day and I asked Penguin to send me a copy and they did. I haven't read it yet. Maybe I've been mentioning his, I don't know. <laughs> That'd be <laughs> Probably <great>. not. <laughs> probably not. Um, the question that I wish I had been asked, I, I don't know. I think I've been really, um, as you might see from my tweets, I've been really prescriptive in how I want the media to engage with me. Um, And so, you know, my agent and publisher and I have worked through a number of questions that are okay to be asked. And I... I, I did tweet yesterday and I, and I must give props to Mike. He was great and, and you too in allaying my fears about the interview because um, I find working with the media, particularly this year, have been really, really hard and and when you have to lay out um, prescriptive questions that you don't want to be asked, then you're seen as a diva, as difficult, we're not going to have her back um, and that that's really tricky. So I'm very thankful to Mike for his um, great emails, but I find having to do that a lot of work. It must be hard in general to, mm-hmm. because you've taken that almost even, like you've, you've gone to that self-blame, which is a very natural place mm-hmm. for us to go, I don't want to be a diva. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't want to be like, you know, like somehow, <laughs> but the questions you're, the things that you ask us not to talk about, and I'm not going to go into them because that would be against the whole premise, (laughs) but I want to say this. I don't think they were unreasonable demands. It wasn't (laughs) like you were saying, I only want blue M&Ms during the (laughs) interview or like six white fresh towels. (laughs) It wasn't a John Bon Jovi rider. (laughs) No, no. I mean, I've got a rider now, which is quite exciting. Oh, you do? Yeah. What's your rider? Tell um, me what's on the rider. A blanket. Oh, yeah, okay. Food. What sort of food though? What what do you go for? I really like cheese. Cheese mainly. Cheese um, is a bit of a theme in the book as well. It yeah. comes up a bit. Yeah, no handshakes. I know I shook your hand before, but mm. no handshakes. Oh. Don't want to get infection, and I don't want to be crushed by a big oh, man handshake. Now. See, <laughs> we went, we went for the handshake. Too. <laughs> no. I, known I that. never know what to do. Where was my um, rider, Mike? <laughs> should have um, refused. Yeah, I, I think through doing the like, I've done a, a lot of events now with with the book, and knowing. Um, how comfortable I am behind like backstage and that and knowing, and there's never any food. So I really need 
<laughs> backstage because <laughs> I'm always hungry. Um, I, when I did my Melbourne my Melbourne launch, it was 41 degrees and I had a little freezer, a freezer pack, you know, one of those gel mm-hmm. coolie pack things that I had on the stage. And I had to text my agent who was in the front row to get it. I was texting her from the stage while I was talking. And then my mum, she kind of gives me the stop texting sign. Right. She thought you were checking she Instagram or something. She did. And I was getting Danielle to get me my cooler pack. Temperature <laughs> regulation was one of the yeah. things that I wasn't quite aware of that yeah. was part of your story. Can you yeah, tell yeah. us a little bit about that? Yeah. So ichthyosis means that I get really hot. Um, it does, and I get really cold to the extreme. I'm actually quite cold now, so I'm going to put my jacket on. But um, I get yeah. So um, your skin is the largest organ in the body, and it um, it means ichthyosis means that I don't have ways to cool my body down. So when it's really hot, I don't sweat, and so um, it can be really difficult. But also, I get really cold as well, and I think that's because the body is expelling the heat to make me less inflamed, and right. then I'm really hot to the touch, but cold. All right, Inside. Well, I'm, I'm Does that talk, make sense? Yes, it makes sense. And I'm going to talk just for a second while you put the rest of your jacket on <laughs> yeah, so yeah. that you can do that as well. But mm-hmm. it's that was to me one of the, you know, I mean, uh, so part of, you know, what you're talking about is very visual to people. Yeah. And obviously that's, you know, part of your story mm-hmm. and the way that people have reacted to that. But the other part is hidden, mm, right? You know, that's and, really tricky. And yeah. I think often your hidden pain or your mm. hidden, you know, uh, in this case, the temperature regulation are, are almost in some ways as difficult or may, maybe even more difficult mm. to express to other people because yes. other people can't see them when they I, happen. I agree. And I I look like I, I look the same every day, you know, but it doesn't mean that I'm more or less sore. So people might, like I'm pretty sore today, um, but you probably couldn't tell based on having seen me yesterday, you know, so, and then I feel really guilty because when I, if I call in sick to work, not that my workplace now is, is anything like this, but I always feel like, well, she went out last night. Why can't she come into work today? And there's that, there's this awful guilt that I, that comes with these hidden kinds of things. I think think with, uh, you know, you talk about chronic illness a lot in, Mm -hmm. in, in the book and Mm. I think that that's probably one of the hardest things for people who have, you know, chronic pain or chronic Mm -hmm. illness to deal with mm. uh, in regard to others. Because if you have a cold or whatever, if you have gastro, like no one's going to have a problem with you having a day off yeah, right. work. But your gastro tends to clear up or your cold clears up mm. and then, you know, you can work for, you know, weeks in a row. Yeah. Whereas when you have a, a chronic illness of any kind, mm. um, often it can be that case of you can be fine one day and, and mm. not fine the next day. And mm. unfortunately, you know, you can stay home for a day and look after yourself, but it doesn't mean that the next week or the next day, it's not yeah, going to exactly. be the same. Exactly. And often when I go to hospital, the hospital isn't the bit that I'm like less sick. It's, it's, uh, it takes a long time after getting out of hospital to feel better again. So um, the expectation to get back into work straight after is um, quite a big one because I'm probably needing another two weeks to recover. Um, I ask people on this podcast uh, Mm -hmm. if they have a philosophy Mm -hmm. and I've been very interested to hear uh, what you will say when I ask you that question. So we're going to do that right now. Yeah. Do you have a philosophy of some kind? Um, I think it's not up to me to tell you how not to be a dick. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's... Now, is that directly to me or no, your philosophy? No, just in that, that's, in, that's in general. Um, 
I think I think there's so much emotional labour that goes into the expectation that I should educate someone in how to treat me. So yesterday, for example, um, I recorded my audiobook and I talked a lot about um, through during the audiobook. I read a lot about taxi driver discrimination. So basically, taxis have discriminated against me in asking me um, about my face or refusing to give me a ride and. Um, I had the one in the morning asked me and the one in the afternoon asked me, even before I'd got in the car, the one in the afternoon, he said, is that cream? And I just said, yes, but you don't need to ask me about my face. You don't need to ask any passenger about their appearance. And I gave him my book card and I said, maybe you should get my book because there's a lot of stuff on taxis here. And then at the end I said, um, and, and again, I really don't want you to ask any more customers why they look the way they do. And he said to me, well, when you book the car, maybe put that on your booking. I said, it's not up to me. to tell you how to treat someone. So, and then I wrote about this on my Instagram and and, um, Facebook and I said, it's not up to me to teach you how not to be a dick. I think that (laughs) it's something that, that's a really fantastic point and I think Mm -hmm. it's something that in general, if you're, Mm. uh, you know, the the predominant colour, the predominant uh, social, uh, you know, uh, like if, you know, I mean, I grew up, you know, white straight man in Australia. Mm-hmm. You know, so essentially, you know, as a culture, you know, mm-hmm. wherever I looked, people looked like me and everything mm-hmm. else was sort of portrayed as, you know, the other or the yeah. diversity. So, mm-hmm. you know, we have this expectation in our country that you can ask someone who doesn't appear white Anglo-Australian where they're from, mm-hmm. you know, that, mm-hmm. that they somehow, somehow have to tell you the history of, yeah. you know, their heritage and family mm-hmm. because of the way that they mm-hmm. look. That. Yeah. Um, you see it all the time online mm. with, you know, people who are talking about feminism that, yeah. you know, suddenly someone's like, well, you show me the stats, you exactly. give me this information where yeah. it's like, or you teach me why this is not mm. the right thing yeah. to say rather than the person going off and, you know, doing their exactly. own research and, and understanding. I think when you're disabled, your body is no longer your own. It becomes medicalized. It's for some fun, someone else's intrusive questions or curiosity to be satisfied. So that can be really tricky as well. And one of the things I find is when I, you know, if, if something discriminatory happens to me, I write about this generally on social media. And then you get that second um, layer of discrimination where people ask for more information or tell you that they don't think it happened that way, or they can understand why it happened, or they justify it. They play devil's advocate. And sometimes I even have to say, like, I, I don't want any devil's advocates here. And right. I, I said this to someone the other day, and uh, I don't know whether that don't know whether they're very smart, but they said, I'm not a devil. And then I had to provide them information on what a devil's advocate means. Right. <laughs> yeah, literally the advocate. <laughs> yeah. I would have thought most of it's actually there in the name, to be honest. The advocate for the devil. <laughs> it's like the dev- devil's lawyer yeah. or the devil's baker, to be honest. Yeah, right. It's just uh, someone who's working Supports for the devil. The devil. Right. Uh, yes, yeah. the idea that everything needs to be an argument rather yeah. than here's you sharing your story mm-hmm. and what happened to you mm. and that we can listen a little bit more and learn a little bit more from mm. people. So uh, it does like, I mean, obviously in a podcast like this, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm still going to probably ask you some questions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to play devil's advocate though. It's, uh, <laughs> it's fine, but I am very interested in the few times like we've, our, our paths have crossed the, uh, you know, a bit online, but we'd, we'd never, you know, met in person. And mm-hmm. one of the times, mm-hmm. one of the things I really was interested in talking to you about today, and I know mm-hmm. that, you know, you knew I was going to uh, talk about this was, um, you've been very public on the idea of ableist language. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. certainly that's something that I had not really 
occurred to me mm-hmm. because of the things that I've mentioned previously. Yeah. There was just yeah. never a discussion around, you know, the idea that language that was being used mm. was ableist. Now, mm. I understand that, like, you know, these days, you know, I'd never use, you know, sort of like your main derogatory terms. But there was a point in time where, like, it was kind of cool and hipster to use the R word or, mm. you know, to call people the S word, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. in relation yeah. to disability. Yeah, exactly. Like, and, you know, that, that times have changed and we've been better educated by these things. But it's mm. not just those most obvious bits of mm. language, is it? So mm. I'd love mm. for you to talk to me a little bit about, you know, uh, ableist language yeah. and, and, you know, kind of, I mean, I am asking you a little to educate me. <laughs> I suppose I'm being one of those people. But I would, I, yeah. I'm curious and yeah. I'd like to know. I mean, I think now it's really um, well known not to use racist or homophobic words, but I think ableist words like the R word, like the S word, like the M word, and I'm not going to say them here today, um, is quite, still seemed seen to be quite acceptable. Um, when there is a racist slur in football, there's a massive media outcry. When there is an ableist slur in football, like um, some footballer, I don't know anything about football, but I did write an article about it, Heath Shaw said the R word, I mm-hmm. believe, in yep. April 2017. And um, there just wasn't any anything said. And I remember a few footballers who have radio shows said, um, oh, you know, um, it's just a figure of speech. Or um, they said that, you know, we were not allowed to call people um, homophobic or racist slurs, but any other thing is fair game. And there's just not that there's just not that acceptance. And even when you don't use a, an ableist slur towards a disabled person, even if you're saying it about a non-disabled person, it's still damaging because you're still othering, you're still belittling or dehumanising someone um, and think, and believing that disability is lesser. And a lot of these ableist slurs um, came from uh, really segregational movements where people were often sold to freak shows or used um, as medical specimens or um, named that way by the medical profession because they were seen as less intelligent. And so they're really damaging. Uh, So, but it's not just in the sense that these things are used as slurs, is it? Mm. I mean, there is the example that you've talked about or, you know, examples where somebody is literally trying to insult somebody by using these pieces Mm -hmm. of language. Mm -hmm. And then there's probably something that is equally as damaging, but probably doesn't feel as damaging to the people who are doing it. And I, by the way, I'm, I don't mean to, when I say this, I understand there are probably things that I still say mm-hmm. that may fit into this category, mm-hmm. or there are things that I say now that, you know, five years from now, when we have a greater understanding around one of those issues mm-hmm. that I'll look back on and go, well, the way that I spoke about that you know, isn't the way that I would speak about it today. Mm. And, you know, if you went back, you know, trawling through things I've said, you know, 10 years ago, there's probably Mm. examples of language in that, that I hope that I wouldn't be Mm. using today because I know a little bit more about it. But yeah, when you know better, you do better. Yeah. But that's, so that's, I guess, is what I'm interested in is Mm. the, the casual Mm. use of these things. Why do you think that it is uh, easier for us as a society still to be casual around ableist language than it is around, say, sexist language or, mm. you know, racist language. Because I think disabled people are still seen as, as the other. And, I mean, I know there was an, a, um, a research study done by Scope in the UK to say that um, there was a really small percentage of um, 
no, like non-disabled people who were actually friends with disabled people. So the likelihood of ever encountering encountering a disabled person in your friendship group is is quite low. Um, where you know ac- access and inclusion is often um, the last thought um, when when there's a diverse panel. Disability is rarely included, um, and we still see disabled people as the other, or even don't even think of their lives or our lives of having as having worth. So it doesn't really matter. If, to some people if they use those words. Uh, what about uh, my world, comedy? Yeah, mm. Because comedy, <laughs> you know, obviously, mm. you know, is an industry where, you know, free, freedom of speech is mm. valued very highly yeah, right. and the capacity to say whatever it is that yeah. we want to say and use yeah. language in the way that we want to use it. Mm. Um, but it, that can also be, I imagine, mm-hmm. from, you know, the outside perspective, something that – because I know you're a comedy fan. Yeah, I do. I come to heaps of comedy shows. So, so. I mm-hmm. – how do you mm. look at, you know, my industry? And yeah. I'm not talking about specifics here. I'm just yeah. asking for a, a more general thought about, yeah, yeah. you know, the way language is used. Mm. Well, I mean, sometimes it's quite unsafe. Um, you don't know when you're going to ring like, – like with with me in the street, I don't know when I'm going to encounter some, you know, person telling me I shouldn't you know, I, I should kill myself, you know. I mean, that doesn't happen in the street a lot, but certainly it happens when mm. people say, oh, I couldn't handle looking like you, I'd kill myself. Yeah. Um, that's that's essentially before. saying to you, you should kill yourself. Exactly. I mean, I know people in that exactly. moment probably aren't think, but that's of course mm. what you hear. Yeah, exactly. So when you hear ableist slurs or, or not even about you, um, but about the wider disability mm. community and, and then you hear someone laughing about it, like that, then that's doubly disappointing as well. Um, you never know when, when it's going to come up. And I think that, you know, Lisa Skye is doing this really great thing with the Safety House Guide. I think that's a really great start where we where we warn people. So about, explain to, for I, I understand what you're talking yeah, about, so, but there will be people listening to this who don't know what that is. Yeah. So the Safety House Guide has been developed for the Adelaide Fringe and I think now the Comedy Festival as well. She did some um, crowdfunding and it's essentially a guide that tells people, uh, gives people content warnings about shows. So not only whether the shows are physically accessible to get into, but the kinds of things that they might mention. So they might mention eating disorders or um, miscarriage or um, ableist language or s- swearing or um, light, light strobe lights or something. Um, and so it gives people a choice about whether they want to subject themselves to them to that language or content. Um, and it also, um, I guess, shows when people are willing to be a good person, not to punch down. You know, it, it shows that people are willing to, to change a little bit and to be more inclusive. What do you think that, uh, what do you think we don't see? Like, that's what I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. Like, what would be the, the casual, at the moment, mm-hmm. what are we doing that we're not acknowledging mm-hmm. that we're doing? I think things like someone generalizing about a certain diagnosis like when people might describe someone that's autistic, for right. example, and use that as a as a joke. Um, I remember going into that's a show. A, by the way, what yeah. a great example you've come up with there because the amount of times that, you know, A, I've seen that, mm-hmm. and B, I, I wonder if, like, you go back, I'm sure that I've used, you know, a reference like that or, you know, that that yeah. person's, you know, on yeah. the spectrum or, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, that, that sort of language. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, even just, you know, like, like movements kind of emulating disabled people, um, you know, like showing a body being different or non-normative. Um, so that, that kind of stuff. Um, I went to a show years ago now, it might've been 
15 years ago and it was um someone mentioned something with a someone with a red face and or I don't I don't think he saw me in the audience that's fine but it was just quite awkward because then people were looking at me mm. and that was weird um it, like I don't I don't think at all like obviously he's rehearsed the show and that so it's probably something that's just written but it, people were looking at me um but I also find it when when people do laugh at these ableist slurs then that's that really shows the type of people they are in the audience as well. Um, did you see Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri, the movie with um, Peter Dinklage? And yep. I thought that was a, a brilliant movie, but the the way, and I think they, they used that, um, the ableism to demonstrate the kind of ableism that was shot, you know, that, that um, they, that um, people of short stature endure, but um, it was really hard to, to watch and really hard to listen to when the audience were laughing at the slurs towards Peter Dinklage's character. It's, mm. I mean, it's amazing to me because I've been doing this uh, job 23, 24 years now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these things that you mentioned, mm. they've all been part of it. Whether it was clever to, you know, use derogatory words, racist words, sexist words, these mm. sort of things. And, there's still plenty of that going around. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. But, mm-hmm. um, but you know, like there was a point of time where everybody had a joke that, you know, had about a little person mm-hmm. that wasn't using the language of them being a little person. And it was funny. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean? As in like yeah. everyone thought it was funny. It yeah. was co- comedic. Whereas you kind of look back on it now and, and understand why mm. that, that mm. wasn't the case. Mm. It's interesting to me maybe what we're doing now that five years from now or 10 years from now we'll look back on and go, uh, you know, that was, I can't believe that we had so many jokes about that. I can't Mm, believe that mm. every time you went to a comedy show you would hear people, Mm. and it may be well be that, you know, thing about being autistic or, Mm. you know, ADD or these sort of like, Mm. because there is a lot of that sort Uh, of reference And I think the hidden sort of disabilities now, um, the language around hidden disabilities around mental illness is certainly coming to light and and the way it's damaging words like crazy Mm. or mental or nuts, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily think those are um, ableist or derogatory, but to someone that experiences that mental illness, it is. So, well, that they, they, those three—if you're looking for a mm-hmm. trifecta of you know, like ones that I have not taken out of my vocabulary, mm-hmm. not through like I'm m- mm-hmm. making some grand statement, but mm-hmm. I bet that I say all three of those. Probably yeah. mental less than crazy yeah. or nuts, but yeah. but still. Probably all of them. Mm. Is there a better? What's a good word that is um, that same thing? Bananas. Oh, bananas. Is bananas okay? <laughs> I think so. I mean, I don't know how bananas feel about it. I, but <laughs> you know what? We're going to draw a line somewhere. Right. Maybe um, in twenty years we'll find out the bananas are sentient, and we'll have to. We can back down on the banana gear as well. But bananas, bananas. have feelings too. Yeah, I like yeah. bananas. I'm um, okay. I, yeah, I think. But I think sometimes when we try and educate people, and then it becomes all too hard. And then that, that's disappointing as well because we've tried or, or we're, we're always shut down, we're blocked on Twitter or we're, um, you know, we're told not to be so sensitive, not to be such a snowflake. And that can be really hard too. So um, I, when I was listening to Sarah Millican's um, chat with you the other day, I thought that was really great when she said she wants people to feel good about themselves when they go out of a show. And I think there's some um, really great comedians that do that, that don't um, target a certain person or a certain demographic. So... I mean, I went to a show last year where it was in a really confined space. It was in a caravan mm-hmm. and there was a lot of um, ableist slurs in there and there was just no way of escaping. Like if I'd walked out, would they have said, oh, like, would they have used their social media to say, 
this woman walked out. I, I actually wrote about it and said that I, I was just so uncomfortable. But I, I don't feel like it's, it's safe enough to make a scene when the content's not even safe at the start, you know? I'm really interested in what you think uh, a good way for people to be open to receiving mm. this information is. Yeah not blocking people on Twitter, Um, having that conversation and realising that someone's – so a joke is not more important than someone's life or safety or body. Um, I had an interaction with a a comedian who um, was saying that she heard my work or she'd been involved with me and was really pleased that I'd given her some information. And another comedian she was with – um, said, oh, well, that that's all very well and good, but I'm going to continue using this language in my home because no one's going to hear it. And um, the word got to her that I wasn't happy. I, I'd done some tweets, not necessarily at her, but just about the conversation. And the feedback that I received was this massive series of direct messages saying that they need to put the joke before disability rights and that um, they're no longer going to credit me in knowing things anymore. Because, and it was just, it was really difficult. And to to have done the work and then had it dismissed, that's that's really hard. Um, also just to, to not have the courage to tell someone that you admire that their language is really um, problematic. That's hard as well. I've done that a couple of times and both times hasn't ended up like the two biggest people I admired that I said, hey, this is really problematic. You're using the M word. Um, uh, once I got blocked and the other time I got unfollowed on Twitter from two people I really admire. And it's it's hard to open up that conversation. Uh, what can what can we do better, do you think? Because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm interested. That's what I'm interested yeah, in. Yeah, so listen. You know, I'm not going to, I'm yeah. sorry. No, no, I'm sorry. I, ironically, as you said, listen, you I talked over me. the top of you. <laughs> yeah. Te- technically, I hadn't quite finished. But, uh, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 that's, I, 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 I'm joking anyway. Yeah. But I, that's what I'm interested in. Yeah. I'm interested in, like, I, I understand. I'm not going to be one of those people that in any way, uh, wants to set myself up as being a person who hasn't made mistakes mm-hmm. and won't continue to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. I understand that to this point I've made a lot of mistakes mm-hmm. and I imagine that just based on that track record that I will continue to make mistakes yeah. for the rest of my life. So yeah. I'm more interested in what do yeah. we do better? How yeah. do we, you know, when we have made a mistake or when we learn something new, mm-hmm. how do we do better? Yeah. Listen, if we've taken the time to provide you with information, like it, the two times that I've told people I've been really uncomfortable. I provided examples. I've sent them websites. I've said, this is how it affects me and my community. So listen, also let other people know in your industry as well. You know, let, let people know, hey, um, I've been using this word for ages. I didn't know it was problematic. I'm going to stop. Maybe you should as well. Um, get disabled people in to be sensitivity listeners, viewers, um, pay them. That would be great. Um, don't expect us to educate you on everything, I think. Um, and I know that um, it, it can be really hard to take that feedback on if that if that's your job, you know, if, if comedy is your job and you, and you get a lot of laughs out of that and then you think, well, if I leave this word out, am I going to get less laughs or fewer laughs? Um, so, yeah, really, and, and, and don't, don't be so defensive. And also, if, you're, if you stop using derogatory words around race and sexuality, replace the 
word disabled with black or gay and see how that looks because you probably wouldn't talk about black people and gay people in those ways anymore. So why are you still talking about disabled people in those ways? Uh, You said something very interesting there, which was pay them. Mm -hmm. This is a theme that comes up uh, quite a lot in the book is the idea that not only because you have, you know, taken on a responsibility yourself Mm -hmm. to, you know, to advocate and to educate. You know, I'm not saying that it is your responsibility online to do that, but Mm. there are opportunities where some people will invite you in for sensitivity training or to, you know, give your perspective so that people can understand better. But Mm -hmm. one of the things that comes up a bit in the book is often people expect that you will do that for free. Always. Well, not always now. I'm pretty assertive in it, but um, there there is an opportunity that, I'm sorry, the assumption that we will do things for free. And I think that comes from the charity model of disability where people with disability are seen as charitable objects that we're seeing to need money to support ourselves that's donated either from the government or from people, philanthropists. And I think that we are expected to to give back, to help um, all the time. But instead, we need to make money. We need to pay the bills. I got a request a couple of weeks ago to say, hey, Carly, can you... um, can you give us some input into our inclusion, diversity and inclusion plan? And I said, well, what's your budget? And they said, we don't have any. So I wrote this, I've got a standard email now, but I wrote a really a big email back to them and said, you know, you pay your caterers, your cleaners, your staff. Why aren't you paying us for our lived experience? And I said, you're just contributing to the barriers that we face by not paying us. And I actually wrote to someone who... Uh, had also contributed to this plan for free and said, hey, I've just given this feedback to this company. Maybe you should consider not giving your time for free as well. Because um, it's just it's just disappointing. And when one person says, yes, they'll work for free, then they, because disability is so homogenised, then they get this idea that everyone will work for free. Like if Carly said that she worked for free, then we're going to ask everyone else. And yeah, there's things that That's I do That's a lot for like free. the comedy industry. Carly. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know, right. And, you know, I do do things for free, but mm. I pick and choose. And I did something for free the other day and it was from a, um, by a rather large company that stands up for human rights who didn't pay me. And I said in the speech, you paid your caterers tonight, so why didn't you pay me? I mean, it's a very valid point. So um, <laughs> a lot of this stuff, uh, well, a lot of this, you know, you can read about in Carly's book. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about, because I also am hyper-conscious of the fact that, like, you are much more than what we've talked about so far. Mm-hmm. You know, you have just a real life, you know, where you are interested in things in the way that everybody is interested in things. Yep. And, and I think sometimes, you know, the predominant thing that people, like, notice about a person can become the thing that you have to talk about exclusively for a while. It is my dream to be invited onto something that I don't have to talk about disability. Right. And so let's stop talking about (laughs) it. So I reckon let's talk about, um, I want to talk about your fandom, if I may, because (laughs) this is something that is uh, fascinating to me. So you've got a a bit of fandom in you, don't Mm, you? A lot. Yeah. We talked about Shane Warne before. Yes. So um, tell us about Warty first. When I was really young, like maybe 12, and I was far too inappropriate to have a crush on Shane Warne at 12, given what he was doing with text messages then. <laughs> no, I don't think text messages were around in 1994. But anyway, um, I I saw him in a Just Jeans ad, you know, and he was just my ultimate. Um, and I, <laughs> I hate cricket. Like I hate sport. hate it. But I would take time off school. And watched a cricket just to see him and Ian, Ian Healy say bold shade. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I just thought he was the hottest thing. I, I 
don't know why. Um, but I'd have all these posters and scrapbooks and um, unauthorised biographies. Now he's got his authorised biography. I've got that too. Um, <laughs> I Yeah, I loved him and I, I sent him a wedding present, which you'll have to read the book about. It's it's very much worth reading, but it wasn't just Warner um, either. Yeah, but, it was Jack Jones, yes. Southern Sons, and I. You he know, was down from he was from down my way. I oh, was, he was from even Trugan. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, so it, it was a bit of a local boy done good story yeah. down there. I it saw, had a massive set of eyebrows. Yes, he does still, I think, but yeah. not not the hair anymore. Oh. Um, I saw him live a few months ago. It was amazing. It was like I was nine years old again. Um, Still got a beautiful voice, Jack. Because yeah, he, yeah, he did. He, just, he had a very. He sounded a bit voice. like John Farnham, yes. or a lot like John Farnham. In fact, wrote. I think he wrote "Burn for You," the John Farnham song. Oh, did he? He might have written, or at least had a. Co- no, that was. Co- I think wrote. that was Phil Buckle from oh. Southern Sun. Oh, was I've the still other got. Southern Sons I've still ago. got the the autographed poster <laughs> in my toilet, in on the back of my toilet door. Uh, yeah, a lot. Many many years later, almost thirty years later. <laughs> Um, uh, so love, love Southern Suns and I've been listening to them a lot lately. Always and ever's been my warm up song before I go onto stage for my book launch. That's so jaggy, isn't it? I love it though. Um, and then, and then Savage Garden, um, when I was seven. Yes. When I was 16, 15, 16. So tell us about, uh, Savage Garden. Where did the love of Savage Garden come from? Is this the first time it's ever been discussed in a Triple M studio, Savage Garden? Uh, Without being made fun of, I mean... (laughs) I mean, look, it's a fair to say of all the things, of all the things you've said today, your love for Savage Garden might be the most controversial that's happened in this building. Um, yeah. So I, I remember seeing I Want You, their first song on like video hits or rage. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to follow that band forever. You know, Darren was much hotter than Shane Warne then. <laughs> Move over Warnie. <laughs> Move over Warnie. And I, yeah. And then Molly Meldrum was talking about them on um, Hey Hey. He was playing to the moon and back and I, yeah, he kind of instructed me to, you know, love them forever. And I did. Um, proper fangirly proper though, fangirly, right? Proper fangirly, right. Yeah. Like waiting outside the hotel fangirly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when I, when I was a child, not, not when I was older, um, I did, I did wait outside Rove for him, um, for Darren, probably in 2000, don't laugh, uh, probably in 2007, I would say. Um, yeah, so I'd been a fan for many, many years. And when I, when, when mum and I went, came to Melbourne for a concert with, with my friend Fiona, um, we waited outside the hotel and the security guard must have thought I was sunburnt and I didn't confirm or deny this. I, di- I didn't say either way. Um, but I kind of, thought he was feeling sorry for me and he wanted to take me to the hotel room to meet Darren and Daniel. And then my mum said no, because he would only take me and not Fiona. So, <laughs> so anyway, uh, we met his parents, we met Darren's parents and stayed in touch with them for quite some time. Um, and then they, you know, they organized meets and stuff when they were touring. I finally met Darren when I was 21. So, I, you know, I'd been a fan from 15, so that's six years and I'd built my you know, life around you as Stevie Nicks sings, uh, you know, built, built my life around, around Darren and what it could be like to meet him. And it was so disappointing because not, no, he wasn't disappointing. <laughs> he wasn't, but it was like this sort of assembly line of, you know, fans right. going to meet him and, and all of whom had probably built up their yeah, mind exactly. of ideas of yeah, what it'd be like. Yeah. And I would make him things, I'd make him scrapbooks and things and give him to, give them to his parents to give to him, um, on the tour. And then 
I think maybe in 2004, when I first, just after I moved to Melbourne, um, he was launching his album, The Tension of the Spark, and his dad rang me to say, um, you know, do you want tickets to his launch? And I said, okay. And then um, that was amazing. Like it was just, you know, front row and he held my hand from the stage. And before selfies were a thing, he took a selfie with my camera, with my old, you know, film camera. And I was in the background, which was pretty special. And then he um, held my hand from the stage. And then afterwards we got a photo with Sony, from the Sony people. And then when people were queuing up, because I went on my own, and when people were queuing up trying to, you know, position themselves with their friends, he said, don't you just want a photo with you and me? And I'm like, oh, my God, yes. Um, and, yeah, so it's been a, a long time. But now the news keeps on dredging up stories about Darren and Daniel having arguments. I just want that to stay in the background. <laughs> I just want that to stay in the 90s. And, you know, you can you can buy the Savage Garden house now. It's only $600,000. So if anyone else wants to go in with me, it's in Brisbane. I probably won't live there, but, you know. <laughs> Um, I could, I could afford a a third. Yeah, exactly. You're having those thirds. I could go with that. I could afford a $200,000 loan. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then, and then I think my, my last fandom was, um, Bob Evans and Kevin from Jebediah. Now, so, uh, Kevin's going to do this podcast at some stage. We've been, uh, he's like you, we've been talking (laughs) about doing it for about two years. I'm meant to have done his podcast. He's meant to have done mine and we haven't quite managed to, you know, schedule it uh, yet, but we're going to at some stage, but not only did you become a fan of Bob, Bob Evans, mm-hmm. uh, but you, uh, he was involved in a very special part of your life. Mm. He is now going to be at all of my life events. He played at my wedding. Uh, he played three songs at my wedding and he also launched my book in Melbourne. And uh, I was joking the other day to my, to my CEO at work. I said, um, if, if I die, well, mm. well, we know each other, mm. can you ensure Darren Hayes sings at my funeral? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, cause he books all the big names. It's Melbourne Fringe's CEO. Anyway. And he's like, what about Kevin? I'm like, yeah. no, no, Kevin, Kevin knows he's invited to all of my big events. Yeah. He'll be uh, there too. Uh, Kevin will be yeah, there. Kevin, Kevin We're will just be saying, there. can you get Darren yeah, as well? Can you get Darren as yeah. well? Maybe Shane, yeah. and Jack, all of them, all of them, right? Super group. Yes. Yeah. I wonder if Shane can play any instruments. No, oh, see, but you'd be disappointed like, yeah. to actually I, miss I, that I have gig. been disappointed with yeah. Shane. Yeah. I mean, but I would be disappointed to miss my own funeral. So if I was dying, I would want all of those people to come all at once while I'm still alive and lucid. No, is that right? Is that yep. the right word? Are you lucid? Yeah. yeah. To uh, experience that. Well, that gets us to this part of the <laughs> podcast that I get to at some stage anyway, mm-hmm. um, in, in most of them, which is the idea of death. Is it mm-hmm. something that you think about? Is it something that is uh, you know, present in your life? Mm. I think having ichthyosis and knowing that it can, it's potentially fatal if I get an infection bad enough and also I wasn't expected to live very long, there's that. Um, and then seeing other people with ichthyosis who um, have contracted an infection so bad that they die, that, that's been something. You know, there's been a few young people past that I know and, and babies as well. Mm. Babies often don't live very long um, if they haven't received the right care. Um, so that, that has been. Um, yeah, I've... I've, I think about it a, a little bit at the moment. I've got a friend that's dying of cancer, which makes me think more about how to grieve and and how how to ask for her time without being selfish, knowing that she needs her time. Can I ask? Uh, do you have a belief? Do you, are you a person who has a religious belief of some kind? Uh, you know, any sort of broader spiritual belief? No, I just don't want you to pray for me. Um, that's a, that's a <laughs> that's that is one of the, the great book, bits right? of the book. Yeah, I must right. say. Um, and I'll let yeah. people read about that in the I, book. But I don't, and I 
I, when I was younger, my parents wanted me to have a religion. Like they they gave me a choice. I, I wasn't baptized, but they gave me a choice in you know if I want to go to church or not. But mum and dad encouraged me to go to, or mum especially encouraged me to go to church because she thought that I'd make friends. So it was it wasn't for the God aspect; it was for the friendship aspect. Yeah. But I had a lot of people telling me that um, I was um, red because my parents are black and white and they've sinned, which I don't get the logic in that. That I am red because I'm not baptized. I don't get the logic in that either because yeah. it's a genetic illness that's before birth. Well, uh, I think if you look at a lot of things the church <laughs> say, you might not right. find the logic yeah. in them. Yeah. So, yeah, my, mostly I think that people just need to be good people and not use religion in the name of sin and crimes, you know? Yeah. What, uh, you know, if if we've got this super group at your funeral, <laughs> we've got them all together. They've There's just no done... women. That's awful. Sorry, I should yes. get some women. That is very non-inclusive. <laughs> no, I feel terrible. I knew you were always gonna sexist. Be, News Corp is going <laughs> to write an article about it. Exactly. Now, what would you, <laughs> let's say all the speakers are women. Let's yeah. say that you've got Roxanne Gay and Clementine Ford yeah. and, you know, your closest friends as well, you know, yeah, the yeah. inspirations as well. Mm. But what would you hope that people say mm. about you at the funeral? What would you hope that the 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 feeling that people have about mm. knowing you, about remembering mm. you would be? That's a good question. That I was, um, that I didn't take shit, that I helped people change their thoughts around appearance, diversity, facial difference. Um, disability, um, that I was funny. I hope people think mm. I was funny. Yeah, you're funny. Um, the I book's funny. funny. Is, it, is it? Yeah. <laughs> Good. Well, I mean, you mentioned Stella Young, uh, you, yeah. you know, in the book as one of the people who, you know, uh, well, I was going to say inspired, but knowing mm. the, the actual chapter, I think it's disabled the wrong people word. can inspire other people. Right. Yeah, other disabled people. <laughs> Without it being inspiration With, porn. Exactly. Because it's not for the benefit of non-disabled persons. But her attitude, and she was obviously mm. a very funny person that I did not mm. know. I wouldn't uh, say that I knew well, but knew mm-hmm. from the comedy community, mm-hmm. obviously. And, and you know, you speak about her in the book and, and, and she was very funny. And I, I, I certainly see uh, an attitude of her humor in your humor mm. as Thank well. You. you know, you yeah. both have that, you know, a bit of uh, take no shit about you, mm. which is, yeah, but in a good, in a... yeah funny way uh, think, as well. You know. I think as well, like people are, uh, when they're ableist and discriminatory, there's some really funny stuff that happens. Mm. And, and some of it is just hilarious. Like, um, I had a man on the train that asked me if I'd been licking lollies, like as if I've <laughs> smeared lollies all over my face and just made my whole face red. You know, like when you go to patch a wall and then you just make it bigger and bigger. I'm imagining it was, it was that, like that with the lolly. Just get a bit of lolly on your face and the whole lot. Um, and then I had a woman who... I mean, there must be a lot of the time when, like, when somebody says something that clearly if you examine it from one way is a horrible, mm. ignorant thing to say. Mm-hmm. But if you examine it from another way, you just must think, mm-hmm. what sort of idiot are you? Yeah, I do. Like, what sort of idiot I... are you that you actually think that that yeah. is the most likely explanation mm. for what is going mm, on. I do. There, and then there was a woman who thought I'd done blackface to go to an African restaurant and she didn't see that, um, like that was a rude thing to ask anyway. Like right. I said, that's really rude of you. But she was just insistent that I must be wearing traditional African makeup to be at this restaurant um, in Flemington. And I said to her, I've got traditional African jeans. My mum's African. And she just, she didn't get it. And then it was just so funny because she, she was just, insisting that I must have put makeup on to come to this restaurant. And Adam, my husband, was sitting there with his head in his hands going, this is the most ridiculous conversation ever. Because often when people don't stop, when when they blurt out what they're saying or what they're thinking before, you know, really thinking about it, um, it makes for a really awkward conversation. Because if you just say, oh, well, sorry, 
then that's the end of it. But if you keep going and going and going, it just turns into a you know, ridiculous thing. Yeah, you, you get to dig a hole mm-hmm. more and more. Mm-hmm. I think that one of the great things that has come out of reading the book, and again, like mm-hmm. every day I learn something more, you know, and if, you, if you're willing to, you know, you will, and if you're willing to be provoked, and if you're willing to go, oh, mm-hmm. shit, I think that's something that I've done. And I wanted it to make people uncomfortable. And there's definitely, you know, moments like that. And mm-hmm. they're always, to me, they are those moments. The moments of going, you know what? It's actually none of your business why someone looks how they look. Mm-hmm. Like even, mm-hmm. you know, even like I look at it on a level of like sometimes, you know, you just will comment on what, I mean, even before I said like Jack Jones had massive eyebrows. <laughs> like, I mean, I wasn't saying, yeah. and, and thus he's yeah. a terrible person. <laughs> yeah, right. But, you know, like yeah. even that yeah. in itself to Jack might be something that he's like, please don't mention my massive eyebrows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like I got teased at school for having massive yeah. eyebrows and yeah. it's like, I mean, I'm not saying that he did, but it, yeah, I know. And I it th- wasn't my intention, but we I do think... that sort of observation of people's mm. looks and characteristics so mm. easily and without thought. Mm. And I think what people don't realize is sometimes it involves reliving trauma to have to answer these questions. So I have a friend who lost an eye to domestic violence and every time someone mentions what's happened to your eye, she right. has to think about that time that she was in that awful situation. Um, if you, like for me, I didn't get like this. I was born like this. But for someone who did encounter a, a difficult situation which changed their appearance dramatically or made them um, acquire disability, then maybe telling that story means that they will constantly have to relive that difficult time in their life. So, you know, it's really none of someone's business. Although I did sit next to someone on the plane the other day who was from... Um, Bristol, I made a comment actually, you know, when you kind of inadvertently upset someone, I didn't mean to, but you know, and probably people listening to, to this are realizing that they've done the same, but I said, oh, I can't believe those people in Bristol has never, have never been to London. I mean, it's only half, you know, an hour and a half away. And he goes, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, but he, he, he was, you know, it was a hot Australian summer and uh, he was pretty pale and I'm like, oh, maybe he has ichthyosis because he looked quite burnt. Right. And then I was kind of itching to ask him, like, yeah. oh, so do you have, but then he, he did say I'm from Bristol and I've got horribly sunburned. So I didn't have to ask him, but, uh, but you know, there, there are those times when I think, should I, I think for me to ask on a, on an equal level is a bit different to some, to someone who's clearly not sunburnt or have a skin condition asking. I mean, that's at the heart of what we're talking about, isn't it? It's about mm. the the power imbalance or the, yeah. like the, it's not like, like, you know, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, what well, we can't live in a world where people ask questions about things. How are we ever going to learn anything? It's the power imbalance. That's right? not what we're talking about right now. Yeah. Cause you know, I, I asked Michael if I could ask you about chronic pain because I'm really, I was really interested in your show last year and you talked about chronic pain and I. Well, we've got about five minutes right. left. You can I, ask me I, if I you'd like. I suffer too, but <laughs> I was thinking it's really great that someone like you has. Um, chronic pain? No, oh, no, thanks no, no, that, no, no, Carly. no, no, I really appreciate it's not, that. It's not really great that you have chronic pain, but it's great that you're talking about it because so few people in the public eye talk about it. And then I, I, I was saying, I realized I put all these boundaries around what I didn't want to be asked, but I'm asking you this on a level that we both mm. endure. So well, in the same pain. way as, you know, there is an agreement in this, mm. like it, I talked about it in my show, therefore mm. I have put it Mm. out publicly and it's a you know reasonable thing that people can ask me about my chronic pain yeah and it's fine and i'm happy to discuss it with people and often the reason that i'm happy to discuss it with people is that you think well you know what there's three million australians who live with Mm. some sort of chronic pain and it is one of those things that people don't 
hear about all the time mm. because it's chronic. Because mm. if you if you talked about it every time you had it, mm-hmm. you'd become one of those people who was always talking about your pain. So you end up just managing it and you don't really, you know, talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I don't mind that and, and, and it's not a problem. And in the same way as we're having this conversation today because you've written a book and we wanted to, you know, talk about these things. But mm-hmm. you knew coming into this environment we're going to talk about it in the same way as I don't mind talking about it with you because I knew I was going to mm. talk about it. Mm. It's when, mm. you know, I'm like, you know, limping on the way, I'm having a really bad pain day and I'm, you know, down at the shops and whatever and somebody like make some comment about, oh, look at you. You're a bit limpy to, or whatever, you know, mm-hmm, it is. And you're mm-hmm. like, you know what? Today I'm actually just in really, really terrible pain. Mm. And I just didn't need somebody to be, you know, commenting on the fact that I was in, like, I'm already mm. feeling absolutely shit right now. Mm, mm. And you're half-hearted or, you know, what what happened to your leg? I'm like, well, actually nothing happened to my leg. I have severe chronic pain right through my body and blah, blah, mm. blah. And you're like, it's I'm already in pain. I don't need the extra pain of having to explain to you what yep. my pain is. So yeah, yep. and again, your your body's off, often not your own. That's for public property, and that's that's really tricky. Yeah, and that yeah. is that, uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, I, there's a couple, we need to finish up, but partly because I can tell that you're a bit cold. Are you, I am you cold, are cold. Yeah. And uh, secondly, we we're running out of studio time, so mm-hmm. they're both going to coincide. But there's a couple of questions that um, I always ask, and mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love to ask you as well if I can. Which is, uh, firstly, um, uh, do you have a uh, moment in your life that if I had a magic wand and you could mm. do over that you would do over, or are you a sort of person who's like everything that's happened led me to here? Mm. Wow. Uh, big question. We've only got like three minutes. Um, hmm, I don't know. I think, I think I would have, would have said no to doing a degree that I didn't really want to do that got me a job that I didn't really enjoy and just, um, did what I wanted to from the start. However, then I'm kind of thankful that that helped me get a good superannuation fund. <laughs> so, and now I work in the arts. So, you know, uh, yeah, I think, I think I think I, I would have stopped trying to please maybe my parents in doing this degree that was sensible and just doing something like that I wanted to do from the start, not waited for so long to, to study what I wanted to do. I like that. That's a really yeah. good answer. And the other yeah. one is, uh, is, do you think that there is a perception that other people have of you mm. that that isn't true? Well, other than the are you sunburnt thing. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> I mean more like is there something that people think you're like, you know, an aspect yeah. of your personality that you go, yeah. it's weird oh. when people say that because I don't see myself as being like that at all. Yeah, I think <laughs> – I think people think I'm I'm very extroverted, but and I think I am. But I also I'm an only child. I really love my space, my own space. And when my when when my husband and I got engaged, he said I'm going to move in, and I was like, oh, uh, can you spend one day a week at your parents' house because I just can't. I don't think I can live with someone. <laughs> so I think there's the assumption that I'm really extroverted, which which I am, but I I really like my own space. As well. But I'm pretty quiet. Yeah. Uh, the book is called Say Hello. Yeah. Uh, it is widely available. Please read it. It's Thank um you. I, I, I found it. I mean, I literally, I, it only arrived here two days ago and I, I finished the whole thing in that time. It's mm-hmm. uh, extremely readable, very entertaining, like lots of, you know, don't, don't expect it to be some sort of, you know, 
you know, bashed over the head, you know, you're being educated. Mm. You will learn a lot of things and you'll be be. challenged by a lot of things, but there is just a lot of very entertaining writing and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's a very readable and, uh, you know, funny, uh, interesting book. So I really enjoyed it and I've, uh, had an absolute ball having you here today. I'm glad we finally got to do this. It's been fun. Uh, and, uh, well, is there, you want to plug your your Twitter, Facebook online, you know, these things? At Carly Findlay for Twitter and Instagram, Carly Findlay on Facebook. I do a podcast too. Right. And the Uh, podcast is called Plug That. Refreshments Provided. Me and uh, my friend Jason, we talk about food and film and he cooks stuff. I just turn up and talk. I'm not a very good co-host. I'm not very good with the admin (laughs) stuff. Like, (laughs) I think he's he's kind of put it on hold because I've failed. (laughs) Like, I think I've let him down too much because I'm just too busy. And I don't really like doing the admin, the show notes. But anyway. (laughs) Whatever. He's very good at it. He's very, very good at it. He's got this really great voice and he can do all the tech stuff. I just turn up and talk. Oh, and what about the audio book speaking of Oh, yeah. Of audio book is, is recording at the moment. Um, I'm going in to do another two two days of it. It takes a long time. When people tell me they've read the book in two days, I'm like, I've taken two years to read the book. Take longer. Mm. Take longer. I know. Um, <laughs> I know. It does feel a bit like you're like, I wrote this for two years. Yeah. And even read it, doing the audio book, I imagine it takes... How long? Yeah. How, how many well, days of recording? Three. To, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it took yeah. me less time to read it than it would take you to read it out loud. Yeah. But I just read it in my head. Yeah, thanks. Not out loud. That's all <laughs> Would right. have been a bit um, weird for me to just be reading it out loud. So audiobooks out. It's on ebook as well if you need a screen reader to read it. Um, and there's a large print format apparently as well. It's not available overseas yet, but um, I think the audiobook will be. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks, Will.